0: What's it like to tell the MMA, mixed martial arts champion of the world, that basically you wanna fight him and destroy him? Well, I'm about to find out in this episode. But even more importantly, one of the most important concepts I wrote about in my book, Skip the Line, was this technique I always use when I want to learn something very fast. And it's a great technique, it works phenomenally well. And it's, I call it plus minus equals. The idea is, if you want to learn something, let's say you want to get better at tennis, or you want to get better at physics, you find a plus, someone who could teach you or coach you or whatever, someone who's vastly superior in knowledge and ability. You find a minus, someone, and this is not a negative thing, but you find someone you could teach, because, as Albert Einstein said, you don't truly understand something unless you can explain it simply to another person. And then you find equals. And that's people who are on the same path and journey of improvement as you um, and we're roughly around the same level. And you kind of learn with each other or compete with each other or exchange notes with each other. And I find this a useful tool, not only, of course, in, in sports or education or learning, but in business. Like when I um, first, the very first time I became an entrepreneur, I, was, I had a company that made websites for other companies. And very quickly, I got to know the CEOs and founders of the other companies, particularly in New York City, that were doing the same thing. And we would run into each other all the time. We would run into each other going in and out of clients' offices while we were competing for business. We would run into each other at parties. We would call each other up and have lunch or dinner sometimes just to compare notes. And even though we were enemies in some sense, we were competing against each other, we were all growing together. And it's it's to this day, more than 25 years later, I still keep in touch with these people. And and, and it's my network that has helped me considerably over, over the years. And so in any case, uh, these were my equals. I I wish in business that I initially had more of a plus. I didn't know this concept then. And I think I made a lot of mistakes that cost me a lot of money because I didn't have a plus in, inv- in, in business at first, or investing at first. But I did have equals and I did have a minus. I I Definitely, always made it a point to work with my employees and other people, and and kind of give back where I could and and help people where I could. But again, it took me a long time to realize how important the plus was as well. And now, whenever I start learning something, boom! The first thing I do is look for plus minus equal. Now, why did I start this idea? Well, I didn't. I I take complete credit for it, though. But The actual guy who told me about this idea was the former mixed martial arts champion of the world, Frank Shamrock, because as you can imagine, he had to learn very quickly, often very completely different martial arts. Well, anyway, he had a rough background, a rough story. He's a great guy. Here he is. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher show. Frank Shamrock. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Living legend. You kind of started the sport of MMA, you and your brother, Ken, I feel really were like legends who start, who started, you know, Ultimate fighting MMA, you really brought it to the public's attention. I'm sure it was around, but it wasn't popular in the early mid nineties. And then you, you were like a legend in the space. You were winning every title. I mean, huh? you go down the list of titles? How many titles did you win? You were, oh, I got one of them all. Yeah, <laughs> middleweight, <laughs> yeah. light, heavyweight, this, that you basically like crushed everyone and, yeah. and you did it in such a way that was very unique to you. I mean, I want to get to kind of your past, present, and future, but just the way you won, you combined so many disciplines to kind of make your own style of of martial art, basically, that would help you, you know, you know, people probably had a hard time preparing for you um, because they didn't know which discipline you would, you know, yield against them. You could you could kickbox them, you could like strangle them, whatever whatever it was you were doing. There was a I don't know how somebody would have prepared for you. Not that I'm a fighter that prepares to fight for fighters, but uh, how would somebody, how should someone have prepared for you? And then there's a lot more to discuss, like like gel and tensions and <laughs> uh, all all these things. And then, and then I also have a confession for you, but, but how would someone prepare for you?
1: Um, well, I, I was the first super athlete
0: and I was the first well-rounded
1: fighter so i was i feel that there's not a lot of humility there (laughs) (laughs) no but it was true like it was uh, uh, you know it just happened to be that throughout that study i became that guy Uh so um but it was uh, it was out of necessity like i didn't want to fight you know i mean like i I wasn't into hurting people but i didn't want to get hurt so you know i i took a very scholastic and a very you know street survival approach to learning martial arts because to me like I was fighting professionally, but I was trying not to get killed. Like, I was trying not to get hurt. So to me, like, the whole system was what Bruce Lee talked about. Do the most amount of damage with the least amount of effort and the least amount of damage done to yourself.
0: Wait, so do the most amount of damage with (laughs) the the least least amount amount of of effort
1: and the least amount of damage done to yourself.
0: And one of the arts that you did um, study and train for in order to become this all-around, you know, mixed martial arts or ultimate fighting champion was Jeet Kune Do, which was Bruce Lee's art form. What makes... I feel like, was that a real martial art or was it just something that he kind of had developed and popularized? Like, was that, uh, you know, something real? It was real in
1: that on his journey, he, he, you know, created it. So it was as real as he could contact and commit to and, you know what I mean, being who he was. Um, I went on the same journey, except where I went into a cage and fought. You know, um, Bruce didn't have to fight. He got to use it in theory and create a system that was mainly
0: theoretical. Um, the techniques were fantastic, and the techniques have been proven to work. Um, like, what's an example technique that was sort of new to Bruce Lee that you've been able to use successfully but wasn't really used before Bruce Lee? Uh, the and this I, is off on a tangent. Yeah, and no, no. But I'm just the curious. Uh,
1: the idea of um, you know straight blasting, the idea of you know connecting straight lines.
0: I don't. Well, what in, does mean?
1: striking. Um, you know, you see movies and these big, wide, circular, crazy, but like, you know, haymaker punches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the shortest path is a straight line. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, a lot of the, you know, all the martial arts come from somewhere. They're made for some reason, some issue, great martial art, kick guys off horses. Um, you know, his was just a personal study. He was on this this journey, like I was, to learn about fighting. What is fighting? What is it? You know, I'm studying martial arts. What is it really? Um, and what he found out in the basis of Jeet Kune Do is, Use whatever works. And so I just took from him the philosophies Mm -hmm. because the technical parts, we had already progressed further. You know, there was already better ways to maximize your body, you know, more power that can be gained. Um, So I took from him all the philosophies and stuff and all the ideas uh, because I didn't have a base. I didn't have a martial art. So, you know, when you say, how do we beat him? There was no way to beat me because there was no base. My base was whatever was needed to win.
0: Cause I've seen a, I've seen a bunch of your fights and like some some of these guys they're like they're brutal they want to come at you and just like crush you to the ground and and the way you fight them was, would be different than other people some people you're like restraining and then once they're restrained then you you do what you need to do to to beat them other people you've got a kickbox other people you've got you do all sorts of techniques to win. So it's, uh, I mean, would you say that's your school or your brand of, of fighting?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my, my style or what I presented was what Bruce Lee talked about. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? The quickest, most efficient, most effective way without hurting yourself.
0: I like the Bruce Lee it. quote. Uh, I, I fear more the man who's uh, studied one kick 10,000 times mm-hmm. than 10,000 kicks one time. Yeah. So just that idea of like uh repetition and really learning one thing better than anyone else in the world and then maybe going on to the next thing but making sure you you learn that one thing first. Yeah, and the biggest thing that I took from from Bruce Lee
1: was the philosophies, the mm-hmm. ideas and the theories. And what they allowed me to do was to take, you know, he was on a life journey that included all these studies. This style is his studies. I was able to take you know, all the philosophies, the ideas, the theories, the understanding of the biomechanics in the human body that he studied and take newer information, newer technologies and just enhance it. Like like, what's an example? Um, just punching footwork, structural positions. You know, he was not a super athlete. So he didn't have those mechanics in his body. Hmm. So, you know, I, I became a 200 pound
0: super athlete. So, okay, just by background, we're gonna kind of go all over the place. You were as a teenager to the age of twenty-one. You were in jail for like three and a half years, right? Yep. So you must have gotten the shit kicked out of you quite a bit in jail, or you must, have, or maybe not. Maybe you were in a lot of fights, but 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 you had the least amount of damage, so you could inflict the most amount of damage. Maybe that's how you learned to focus on that philosophy. Well, I, I, I'd be afraid to go to jail at that age I'd, to get beaten up. <laughs> yeah, it, it it was
1: intimidating. <laughs> but uh, you know, like the streets, jail is very much a you have to fight, you know, if, if someone, you know, attempts to take your stuff or pressure you or, you know, take advantage of you, like you are obligated to fight both for yourself and then for your own race. Because if you don't fight, then your own race will come take your stuff mm. because you didn't stand up. So I see. So big, you, you have to fight. Th- and then at that point you have no friends. And then, you have, then you have nothing. So right. it's like you, you're obligated socially to fight
0: if you're in that situation. Is there, and I don't know anything at all, is there anything like if you fight and lose, are you still okay because you've gained some respect? Totally, yeah. You can lose and you can get your ass kicked. Bet you can't be
1: a punk or you can't be, you know, somebody who does nothing. And because then it, you're literally your own race will come take all your stuff. Because they'll be like, well, you have no value. And, and to if, us
0: or to yourself. Right, because you can't protect them. you
1: can't protect us. You can't protect yourself. You can't protect us. Like, you have no value. And they, they would literally take your own race. We'll take your own stuff.
0: Like what's some of your stuff that you have? You your radio, your
1: you know all your stuff, like the things you live off of. You know your your tiny two by two box of stuff. So, they will come, you know, liberate it for you.
0: So you get into you you go into jail. Your first day, you're a teenager. What's the first time someone challenges you? You know, is in your face. Uh, it happened in jail. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it happened in jail when, um, because I was in youth jail. And then when I turned 18, they moved me straight to adult jail. Um, and day one, big, giant, burly dude came in and tried to take my bowl of hot chili. And that guy was like six foot five. Like just, so everyone's just, sitting around. Everyone's sitting at a giant table in a dorm setting, minimum security. And um, this big, giant man literally walks in, looks down, sees my bowl, and just scoops it up and puts it in front of his. And I go, hey, that's, hey buddy, that's my bowl. And he goes, no, it's not. I'm like, and he's literally, he's six foot five, he's 300, he's a giant man. And I'm, you know, it's an 18 year old kid at the time. Um, And I go, oh man, you must've misheard me. That's my bowl of chili. And he's like, no, it's not. And I know, like, I have to get up and do something about this because he's just trying to, you know, take my stuff. So my very first confrontation was with him. And uh, I, uh, I picked up the bowl of chili and threw it right in his face. And then when he put his hands up, I took the metal tray and started beating him over the head with it. And then after he smacked me across the room and got me to stop doing that, he came over and started pounding on me. And uh, uh, he was pounding on me, and then I just looked up, and there was his groin. So I attacked his groin. And when the guards came to pull him off of me, I was attached to his groin, and they were dragging me across the uh, cell block as well. Oh, my gosh. And from that moment on, everybody was like, hey, respect. Don't mess with that guy. And so that's how I... Um, that's crazy. That's I got my respect in that jail. And then every... Prison is a new experience because if someone senses there's weakness or if you show weakness, you know, prison's all about not having power. They take everything away from you. They take away all your power. So everybody's struggling to gain
0: power. And the guard, I mean, this is totally, again, naive on my part, but the guards are not in there saying, hey, break it up. Yeah. (laughs)
1: No, no, no. And you, you can't tell. So... Whatever happens, happens. it's yeah. just, it's just it, it is what it you is. You can't say he beat me up. <laughs> you can't tell because then you're the rat, and then everybody comes for you. Mm. So it's it's a, it's a tough place to live, you know. Especially um, you know coming from the streets, not having education, not having a lot of support. Um, it was the
0: first time I woke up and was like, wow, I really screwed up my life. I got to get out of here. So 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 yeah. So let's so okay. First, I want to say um, you uh, spoke to a good friend of mine, Ryan Holiday. Or, or maybe he had read something you had, you had written um, about about this concept of learning, which you called plus minus equal, which is to, you know, find a teacher like a mentor, find people who are aspiring and rising up to, to work with, and then find people to teach. Am, am I correct in saying that that was a message of, of yours? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I've totally stolen that and I love given, it Please and not use giving it. you credit <laughs> at all but now i am giving you credit for it completely all right. Um but Ryan did a very good job of giving you credit and um, um, but I just love that concept because there's lots of different ways you can go with that like like a mentor like a plus could be a virtual mentor a real mentor like for you Bruce Lee was a a plus but he was a virtual mentor and uh, was your brother Ken or or, or uh, might have been uh, a slightly older you know more real mentor and, and he might have had other real mentors along the line. And then your equals are all the people who are also rising up, who, um, are, you know, you exchange notes, you exchange ideas, you exchange techniques and you trust them because they're, you're, you're, you're you're all equally ambitious and, and trying. And then the minus, and now you, now you run all these, um, training schools and stuff minus, I think helps you solidify what you're learning. Cause if you can't explain it and teach it, you probably didn't really learn it so well, like Bruce Lee was great at explaining things. So I just love the concept. I think that could be applied to any area of life. Yeah, so. I mean,
1: I, I do it for everything from marriage to business to, you know, God questions. I do, you know, I'm, I've learned after 44 years, I don't know anything. How, how, do you do with, <laughs> how do you do it with marriage? I need to learn this. Uh, I have a neighbor named Les. He's been married to his wife uh, for 47 years. Wow. And so anytime I can't figure it out, I walk over next door and knock on the door and I sit down with Les. And I say, hey, Les. And Les lays he's got forty-five years, he lays it on me. And and then who are your equals um, in the marriage space? Mainly just people in my community yeah. because we're all sharing, you know, children and stuff yeah. like that. So uh, there's a couple of husbands that we're like, you know, right here. <laughs> um, and then and then minus my minus. Uh, well, I have uh, I have three kind of younger business professionals that I mentor, uh-huh. and it's also like a life mentoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I have. Virtual people that I mentor kind yeah.
0: of all over the world. So it really does apply. I, I really do believe this plus minus equals that uh uh that you that you talk about, it really applies to every area of learning. Yeah, I mean, I, I find mean, it to be incredibly useful.
1: A thousand percent. And and you hit it in the minus, because that's really where the magic happens. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to be the minus, but if you don't know, you don't know.
0: But well, well, somewhere, every plus has to. I mean, if you have a plus, that means that plus has a minus. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that is an important part of becoming the plus is being able to communicate to the minus. And it's a, and and it's not about an ego thing. It's not like giving it forward. It's like, oh, I didn't really learn this until I was able to explain it in a very simple way that I could understand it, that made sense to me. So I I find it very valuable in all the things that I try to learn. So just that concept that now I can't believe now I'm talking to you because I've, <laughs> I've read it in Ryan's book. I talked about it with Ryan and uh, I think it was Ego is the Enemy. Um, and and then I wrote it in one of my books and I've just kept writing about it because it's such a powerful concept. But okay, back back to you're your, your 16, you're causing trouble, you get sent to jail. Why were you causing so much trouble? Why are you such a bad kid? You know what? I... Uh, by the time I was 11,
1: I left my house and became a ward of the state. And I didn't know that the things that were going on in my house by way of punishments and stuff were abuse. I didn't. All I knew was I was an emotional basket case. I couldn't hold anything together for more than a few days. No sport, no activities, because I would just fall apart. Mm. Um, but what was happening is I was being emotionally traumatized by the abuse. Um, so when I left my home, you know, the first thing I learned was crime was a tool to get out of your home and protect you. Because that's how I got out of my home and protected me. I actually threw rocks at a train. And in California, that's a felony. So the first time I was ever able to leave my home, I was 11, and I went and did 10 days in juvenile hall. Oh my God. And it was the first time I was away from my family. I was hanging out with all the bad kids, and I was talking to them, and I'm like, Man, like, well, how do you guys deal with this being locked in the closet and stuff? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, you don't get locked in the closet You're like hell no, that's so horrible. And I realized. And these when are the, I was these are the 11, bad kids these are the who were in telling, like an 11 year old jail yeah, telling, telling, telling me you how what the bad hell it is. Yeah. And that's when I was like, oh my God, like, I, I have to leave my home. And, you know, I went and saw the counselor and she's like, well, if you keep this crime up, we're going to take you out of your home. And I was like, well, bingo. So I just kept doing it. And then they came and took me. And then when it came time, you know, the uh, counselor's like, well, you know, they'll send you home. Like, and I said, I don't want to go home. She said, well, you got to stand up in court and say, I don't want to go home. It's, I'm doing this because I don't want to go home. And so once I did that, then boom, I was instantly awarded the state. And then the problem was I learned that crime was a tool to change my situation. Mm. So uh, when things didn't work out the next place, I'd be like, well, I know what to do. Commit a crime, go back to juvenile hall, see my friends, get any placement." So I got in this cycle, which didn't stop until I was uh, 17 and I was married. And because I was married and I was an emancipated minor, anything that I did illegally was charged
0: as an adult. Wow! So, so that's when things change. You're not just going back to juvenile hall and meeting your friends. Now you're with the guy who's going to take your plate of chili, who's six foot five. <laughs> Just go to com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now, when you were 16... You had um uh, a girlfriend and a kid or I guess you said you got married at yeah. that age and and a kid what happened I I I know eventually of course you went to jail all these things happened in your life do you, are you able to keep in touch with the kid from that age I mean, Oh, Yeah
1: yeah my son little Frank he lives cross town from me okay. and he's now 20 or oh, maybe 29 this year see a big guy
0: <laughs> Yeah big guy
1: super sweet I graduated continuation high school with him and my wife
0: Wow yeah
1: when i was 17 yourself
0: so so uh uh you you get i saw the before and after pictures you get out of jail you were like a big guy then yeah (laughs) and so uh bob shamrock who was this you you were staying in kind of this home for troubled kids that he was running um i believe it was him who said to you with you know you had worked out you were like kind of a ripped guy he said you're either going to be uh, a fighter like like Ken here, or you know Ken, Ken Shamrock, who was uh, uh, his I guess original adopted son or first adopted son, or you should be a male stripper. Yeah. <laughs> did you consider the male stripper <laughs> side? I did.
1: I maybe spent one night thinking about it, but that was <laughs> I was not uh, that was not my speed. And I but, always I always dreamt of, of becoming a champion, so it was one of my you know childhood fantasies.
0: Stripping was not right, so that that makes <laughs> sense. So, but Ken at that time. Uh, I mean, maybe, I mean, I think Ken had the sense and you didn't have the sense that, oh, you're fighting that you had been used to was kind of this street fighting almost style, like to protect yourself, to, to you know, cause damage without being hurt, but not necessarily yet a, a martial art because you're not learning that in, in jail. And he had been kind of in training and, it, it, you know, he sort of says to himself, well, I need to put this guy in his place and kind of crush him. <laughs> and so when you first kind of fought him, to kind of see what this was all about. What, what happened?
1: Well, that was, uh, we used to call it the tryout, mm-hmm. which is um very nice uh, sounding word. <laughs> it sounds very, you know, pleasant. Uh, it's actually 500 squats, sit-ups, push-ups, and leg lifts, and then you spar a professional fighter for 20 minutes. And I sparred my brother because he wanted to be the guy. And he just beat the living
0: shit Like, I was just beat me. Like, it was... And, and you know what? I don't understand what that means. Like, but I don't... just beating. I've like- never been... Like, if someone <laughs> slaps me in the face... Yeah. I'm just gonna be like, "Ow, don't, don't do that again. That hurt. What? How did you? I, I, don't, I still don't understand. If someone punches you in the face repeatedly, aren't you gonna have damage? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was pretty banged up. I couldn't walk for about a week and.
1: He would also stretched out my knee tendons with heel hooks, and so I was pretty banged up. Could I there was, be permanent damage?
0: I mean, obviously there could be. Well, I mean, I probably got some
1: brain damage, but you know, <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, uh, you know, I tendons torn, and I broke a rib, and he broke my nose, and stuff like that. But all that stuff heals, you know. So it wasn't anything, like, really serious. But it was the first, like, wake-up call. You know, when you're, you know, I considered myself a very tough man. You know, like, i walked the streets. Like, I, you know, I've considered myself a very— tough person until that day Mm -hmm. and then i just woke up like it was literally like like how could another human being do this to me and And so
0: did you see that that suddenly the difference between kind of like street style fighting and oh there's something almost he's using some techniques yeah yeah i could tell like right away like mm -hmm. there was it was just it was so
1: different from any other physical confrontation because it
0: wasn't like he was just stronger than you yeah. so
1: hitting yeah, you just harder destroy like it was everything was he was just destroying me like it was just like crush smash you know and I and and to my you know detriment like I didn't even know what the rules were you know no one told me I could tap you know, I was in prison I didn't know this whole thing was evolving becoming a sport like I didn't see or hear any of it so I didn't know what to do and I just fought like I was fighting for my life so to me it was a very different experience than I'm sure they were having Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm like straight out of prison. Like two days after I got out of prison, I was in the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, and I never left. and that's you know that's how I became successful.
0: What does it mean to be beaten up, like beaten. by a by a professional fighter? Just just beaten, like you know, you to go to a hospital, can you're you die. So
1: no, no, not like why that. Don't people you're die. Just, like you're in just this tired. you're like you you're so exhausted because if you don't know how to fight, you don't know how to use your energy or your body and the energies correctly. So besides the fear and all the angst, there's also this, you know, tremendous drain, like you just lose all of your energy very, very quickly because you don't know what to do with it all,
0: yeah, but he's also at the same time, it's not like you're running a race and getting tired. At the same time that that's happening, someone's punching you in the face, punching you in the stomach, (laughs) kicking you in the groin, tripping you. I thought I was going to die. Like I
1: honestly, because I I had never been beaten up. I mean, I fight on the street. Like if you get beat up, you know, that means you're like getting killed in an alley. So like I've never, I was never knocked down. Like I've never been beaten up. Even in jail you weren't beaten up? No, no, never. No, Hmm. I've never been, you know, I always, If you, I I never mess with people. But Hmm. if you mess with me, Mm -hmm. You know, you get the one warning and then, you know, then you get the rest of it. Uh So, but most people can tell by my intention, I'm not playing. (laughs) So no one ever messes with me.
0: Right. But what do you mean by your intention? Like, how do you, um, how do you give me the look that's like, don't mess with you.
1: (laughs) Most people don't really want to fight Uh because it's incredibly dangerous and scary. Yeah. And we survived by getting away. So the, the truth in the human spirit is they don't really want to fight. There's some other thing going on ego or there's some other issue so what i've learned is i know how to fight and i know how to talk to people that know how to see that i know how to fight so i just tell people the truth like if you keep doing this you're gonna force me to do x y and z what's and, x y and z um <laughs> you i usually add something vulgar like you know you're gonna force me to put you to sleep and stuff you under a chair like mm. i say something like weird that's arresting <laughs> they were like what, like, what, what? Did, did he just say that okay. and so i use like a weird psychological thing but um i'm honest with people hey i'm not interested in that and you know I'm, I'm uncomfortable can i buy you a drink and i just try to flip it and then if they don't and i get real which is if you keep messing with me i'm gonna i'm gonna kill you in front of all your friends like i just go real and they're always like he's either crazy or he's being real.
0: I feel like I feel like that works for you because I can even <laughs> see you're sort of huge. But yeah. if someone <laughs> came up to me and was in my face, what should I do if I just if I don't want to fight? Like I never want to yeah. fight. What should I say to get them to back off? I wasn't planning on asking you this, cause, yeah. but I'm just curious. Like you, you're you, looking at me. Like what should I do? You sh- uh, and should. I run?
1: Human <laughs> beings should be able to de-escalate any situation. Huh? That's interesting. Human beings. So animals. You know, we, we can't negotiate with animals, but human beings should be able to have a conversation and you should be able to de-escalate.
0: But sometimes people are crazy, right? Yeah. So like, go. you, you know, someone comes into a bar, p- p- picks on you, and you say, hey, can I buy you a drink? And they just slap your drink off the bar. Like, no. Like, because I'm, you know, I'm clearly easy, e- easy to fight. So what would I, what would you suggest I do? Walk away. Yeah, walk away. Walk so away. I'm not going to say, hey, buddy. Why? You're not going to fight. I'm not going gonna... <laughs> right, hey, to fight. Think
1: about the end game.
0: Right. Are you going to fight? No. If you fuck with me,
1: I'm going to fight. Right. And I'm going to crush you. And I'm going to lead with that so I don't get messed with. I think
0: that's the difference in So there's no bluffing. There's
1: no bluffing. I don't Cause, bluff.
0: Because no... humans probably are pretty good at determining ultimately a bluff at that level.
1: Yeah. And then it's no one ever comes up with, I want to fight you. Mm. Like no one ever is doing that. It's all the, you know, I'm drunk. I was in this weird, you know, la la, 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 There's all these other circumstances that make people think they want to fight you. But when you get real with people, they just, you know, they just lose it. And then I, I, I do a lot of, and this is what I'd recommend you do, is I do a lot of psychology when I talk to people. You know, I'm not, you know, confrontational. I'm not, you know, if a guy bumps into me, I'm saying I'm sorry. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Because I don't know if he bumped into me or I bumped into him. But, you know, I wouldn't want to be me. <laughs> right. So I'm the first guy to be like, oh my God, did I step on your shoe? I'm sorry, dude. Um, whereas most people would just, well, whatever. So I'm, I'm just very connected to it. And then, you know, if I see a guy who's really drunk, you know, I'll just get all medieval and, you know, lower my voice and lean in and, you know, be like, listen, buddy, you seem like a nice guy. And <laughs> just get but all- But you're about to die. Yeah, no, but, you know, like I'm here with my family and, you know, you're, you know, you're now making me very unpleasant, you know. I'm a professional fighter, and if you keep doing this, here's what I'm going to do. Hmm. And you say it nice and quiet when they're not embarrassed, and I, I lean right into their ear. But I'm also willing to fight. Like if you mess with me, I will
0: fight you. Right. So you know. But
1: but most people don't want to fight.
0: No, that's interesting because you even Almost all of them. And 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 we're we're skipping around a little bit. But like, I mean, I saw in… In the documentary on Spike, what, what was the name of it? You, Bound by Blood. Bound by Blood. So what what? Once you started kind of saying, "Hey, I wanna um, I wanna learn this, I wanna do this, I wanna compete in this," what was your what, what was your initial regimen? Like, how did you start getting better?
1: Um, well, I, I I took the same kind of scholastic schooling approach because when I got to prison, I kind of woke up and I was like, "Wow, I just screwed up my whole life. I got three and a half years to do. I have no education. I have twenty felonies. Like, I'm totally a screw up." And I would—I realized then, you know, all that stuff the counselors were telling me was true. I was going to screw my life up. Crime was not a good tool. Like it was all just kind of fell on me. And what I did was, you know, I i saw all my friends from childhood there with me. And I was like, this is not the way to go. So I went the other way. I went to college, I got educated, and I completely changed who I was as a human being. I changed my intentions, my beliefs. Like I, you know, I changed who I was. And my new intention was I was going to provide for my son. My son was, you know, a baby then. And I was going to, um, you know, not become, not be a criminal anymore. I was going to educate myself and, you know, change my life for the better. And in that journey,
0: Bob came along, you know, and was like, stripping or fighting. (laughs) (laughs) And so clearly, clearly he was probably even joking with you. He he clearly wanted you to fight and and help was.
1: I think he was dead on the 50-50. I think he was Uh. into it because Ken had a very successful career as a stripper. And so he, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. When he, so Ken was a professional wrestler. And then he, you know, when he needed money, he would do stripping and then he would do professional wrestling. And before the fighting got big, you know, that's how he kind of made his money. He was, you know, made money off his body. So it was perfectly natural for my dad to say, hey, you got this great asset. You know, here's the two avenues that Ken's made money. Pick one.
0: (laughs) <laughs> and, and to be clear, he, this is not the dad that had uh, been abusing you when you were 11. He yeah. adopted you as as he got to know you when you were older and so on. Yeah. So he adopted you and he adopted Ken, right? Yeah. Ken
1: first and mm-hmm. then he adopted me years later.
0: And so just out of curiosity, what do you think comes first? Actions or intentions? So did you start, so you got, you, you, you realize, okay, I'm in jail, I'm screw up and so on. But did did you start finding things that you were interested in studying and then kind of your intentions changed? Or did you say, I better, I don't know, go to college so I get out of this life? Or well, I, I, maybe there's a subtle, only a subtle difference, but I'm just curious what you, what you think about it. For me,
1: I, it was real simple. I had a manila folder. Mm-hmm. I sat down with myself and God one day and I wrote down all the things I was on the front of that folder. I was a liar. I was a cheat. I was a thief. I was a criminal, like all the stuff that, that I was. And then on the back of that folder, I wrote down all the stuff I was going to become. World champion, spokesman, you know, all the stuff that I, I dreamt of becoming. And then all the things, all the actions, all the
0: needs, were, and the things I was studying were the pieces of paper in the middle of that file. I see. So you kind of said, to, um, for each action, would this action take me closer to this side, or would this action take me closer to this side? And you chose... Because believe the actions that would take you closer to the positive side.
1: Yep. And every day when I opened it, I got to see exactly what I was now, mm.
0: and what got me there,
1: which was me being who I was. Inside was all the meat, and then every time I finished, I just closed it and went, and that's where we go. <music>
0: After Ken kind of beat you up that first time, did you say okay? How, how did you start training, and how did you start getting into you know mastering the field? You, you've you've mastered that whole art form. I mean, now things are a little different. Like you say, um, you know, techniques, training, everything sort of evolves. Uh, but but back then you were not even not, not so long ago, but you were you were the peak. You were the you were the giant. So what was your regimen to, to get there? To get beyond where anybody else had gone. Uh, the first thing was I got a notebook because I was the only guy taking notes and drawing
1: diagrams and pictures because when I read the Jeet Kune notebook, it was all notes and you know, it was Bruce's drawings from his from his journey. Mm. So, um, and I think I got that very much from going to college and stuff in prison. I had a very scholastic, you know, experience. So, I was the only guy with a notebook mm. for years <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I figured it out Just because I, you know, wrote it down, asked a question, create a theory, practice, apply, it works, you know, put it in stone. Um, but it was really the focus. I mean, I, I put a hundred percent of my brain to it to where every single night when I fell asleep, I just continued training, dreaming, and going through the same theories and strategies and techniques as when I was awake. Mm-hmm. So my brain just never turned off. And that's how I was able to evolve so quickly in the sport is once my body got strong, it's pretty strong anyways, but once my body got accustomed to the techniques and
0: the energy needs, um, I just it all clicked so 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 uh, talk to me more about the the energy needs so with each so obviously again you, it's back to the you know you want to use as little energy as possible to cause as much damage as possible what were some of the things you learned really quickly that you didn't know before that would preserve energy uh um balance leverage uh our, our theory our system
1: is based on leverage so it's like uh a plate on top of a ball. You always want to be the plate because then your weight is the biggest weapon. Hmm. So just learning that, you know, and how to use your weight as a weapon. I didn't realize, but Ken was just putting all his weight on me half the time. And I was going, because ah, I didn't know what to do with all of this weight. And for me, the effort that it took to move the weight is what was making me tired
0: is that why in boxing some uh, i mean i, I kind of know the answer to this but is that why in boxing sometimes you see one particularly in heavyweight fights, you see one of the fighters just like grab the guy and they're like just it seems like they're just sort of resting but probably what's happening is the 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 one guy is putting all his weight on the other guy and so the other guy has to expend a lot of energy even though it seems like nothing's happening
1: mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. lean on him, you weigh on them and there's a million tricks to using your energy effectively and then. Um, The other thing is because I was studying so much, you know, all the techniques, like I was telling you, they've evolved and they've changed. So, you know, I was learning techniques, but also learning better ways to do them because I was studying the whole time. So I was like, what about this and that? And move your leg there and try this. So one of the reasons why I continued to evolve, I I became a teacher after six months, six months of training. I was teaching other fighters Mm. because I'd taught people in prison and, you know, I ran a boot camp. Like I, you know, all the areas of development that I needed or thought I would need for this career, I picked up. You know, um, so yeah, I mean, I think the big difference is I I didn't care about being tough. I didn't care about being, you know, the toughest guy in the room. Like I literally just wanted to figure this thing out and become the best at it.
0: It sounds like what you were doing was, um, you, there, there there's this, let's say, let's call it a meta skill fighting. And then you broke it up into, um, a lot of micro skills, like, like, uh, balance, or footwork, or punching, or kickboxing. So all of these are completely different skills, but each one kind of had to be learned to be an ultimate mm-hmm. fighter. And it sounds like that's what you were doing, because it, it seems like beforehand people would be either be a wrestler, or they would do karate, or they would do boxing. And and none of those disciplines by themselves is going to let someone be, you know, a mixed martial arts champion. I feel like you ha- kind of have to learn all of them, and so and and it was this combination that really makes the the art form, it really really created the sport. So what made you realize you had to learn many, many different martial arts? Because
1: certain people with certain skills would affect me. So, you know, a strong wrestler would be able to control me so then I'd have to, you know, learn to use my legs and my hips more. So I was very much, because I didn't know anything, I was just, if it worked, we used it.
0: If it didn't, I just stopped using it. But it's the classic thing where you're it, you're, you're doing study. It's almost like you're doing a scientific study on, your, on, yourself. on yourself and what just worked against you. And like a wrestler, you just said, would do something to restrain you or hold you down. And you'd have to figure out, you'd have to really stay to figure out, well, how can I fight that? And then the next wrestler comes along and how can I fight that? I mean, it, it's the classic of not learning from failure, but learning by because uh, I, I don't like that phrase so much, but learning from experimentation almost.
1: Yeah, and this is, this is one of those sports where you're using your body like intimately, so you have to experiment and you have to understand everything about it. And we always say the best fighter would be um, a ballroom dancer who is a gymnast, because <laughs> you'd never catch it when they could move their body in any position you wanted to. Like, you know, they, they would be so powerful with their being, with their body. Um, and the other thing which most people don't realize, and I, I say it in passing because it, it, it makes people think, but I look at people's bodies and I do a complete diagnosis of your structure, your biomechanics, and what I think it would take to beat you. That all happens in like 15 just,
0: seconds. So you just point right at my forehead <laughs> so, and push me over and i When dead. I see people,
1: because I've trained, I trained for you know, 16 years, every night focus. So when I see a human body, I don't see tall, skinny. I just see structures that have power.
0: Okay, but the average person on the street is basically all the same in the sense that they, they sit in a, cha- a chair all day going to work. They probably have, don't really eat as healthy as possible. They don't really exercise as much as they should. So the average person must look all the same to you, which is just I have to punch this guy in the gut and then <laughs> knee him in the head when he bends over, <laughs> yeah. and he's gone. <laughs> yeah, but
1: uh, if you go deeper into it, what it really comes down to is I was studying the biomechanics of the human body. They were studying fighting. Mm. I was studying the human body and how it inter- and how to maximize it. And they were studying technical fighting.
0: So that reminds me. I'm uh, I'm going to make a leap that might sound funny, but it reminds me of uh, Leonardo da Vinci. So every art- artist was studying how to paint, but he was doing autopsies on bodies to understand really how, you know, how to depict a human body. He was studying, you know, how the sun would would hit, you know, would shade the different parts of the body so you could really understand how to draw the body in a complex way, as opposed to just understanding how to how to paint, which is what most people were doing back then. And so it seems here is that you evolved the art form by going that one level deeper of not just how do I crush this person, but how how is the body working so that I can cause the most damage? It's almost like these imaginary, points, or I don't know if they're imaginary or not, but like, oh, if I touch this person here, they're, they're dead. So is <laughs> but that- But that's how I look at the human body. Hmm. So it just, it's an assessment. It's
1: like, uh, and I think it's just from all the training, because I, you know, body, mechanics, work. So I look at a human body and it's like, okay, arms are long, you know, structure, strength. And I make, it just in my mind, there's a mental assessment, which has a
0: numerical value. And so if you see a guy on the street, can you tell if they're a fighter?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. I can tell anybody who who has the intention of fighting, mm. and I think that's the big um, separating factor between people that want to fight and people that don't want to fight. Ninety nine percent of people do not want to fight, but there is a few people that want to fight, and you can tell by their intention. When well, I when I lower my voice and I speak, I speak with the intention that I am going to break your face in two <laughs> seconds if you don't stop doing that. That's why people go. Let me know oh. if I upset
0: you during <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> but that's why people go. Oh, he must be serious because who else is you know, speaking all crazy like that. So, so I remember there was one guy you were fighting, uh, Asian guy, and uh, the it was mentioned he trained with uh, he was he was willing to die. Or he had the will to die, is how he trained. So, kind of kind of being, I guess you you can set yourself up psychologically so that you throw yourself so fiercely into a fight without being worried about death. Almost this stoic way of looking at fighting and this was one of the for our initial people you you fought when your career was was moving up. Um, do you think that's a helpful helpful way to look at fighting, to think that you could die and, oh, yeah. be, and be okay with that? For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think
1: it's a, a good way to approach life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, one of the best sayings in Native American culture is today's a good day to die, mm-hmm. which means you're in the right place and everything's taken care of, so you go do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean we always make a joke about it. People always ask me, you know, how do you stay focused and you know, what do you do to train your mind, this and stuff. And I would tell this joke, but it's the truth. Um, and I'd say it in a funny way. I'd say, I, I say this gentle, gentle mantra to myself, which helps focus my mind. And they would lean in. They'd be like, tell me. I go, it goes just like this. Die, die, die. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm trying to kill every person that I'm in front of and I'm willing to die to do it.
0: And so, so, so you, you, you make, you say that that's could be analogous to life, but let's say, and so there, there's the cliche of, um, um, you know, live life as if today's your last day. But of course there's more nuance to it because if you have kids and you want them to grow up and, and, and I don't know, either go to college or buy a home or whatever, uh, you kind of have to save up for them. So you can't always live life like, okay, I'm going to spend all my money today. I'm going to, you know. Go crazy today because today's the day I'm going to die. Where's the balance there? How do you find that balance? Well, I think you got to roll it back because um, it's an
1: expression of all things are right. It, the, wor- it, the work is done. like It's done. So, you know, it, when you're a warrior and everything's cared for, you can go out and, and go to the death because everything's cared for. I see. So, so when it's not cared for, you probably shouldn't go out there and, (laughs) and bite to the death.
0: Right. So that, that's again, leads to, um, that manila folder. Do you go to this side or to that side? So if, if you're, if not everything's cared for, okay, let's just go, let's just today go in a direction where the things that are not cared for are cared for. So you could every day make, again, make, so, so you mentioned the warrior's code, uh, just now, and you mentioned it in the, in the documentary, what, what, what does that mean to you? what What are those? What's that code?
1: Well, those are basically the principles of martial arts for me. Mm-hmm. So those are honor, respect, discipline, which applies
0: to everything. Honor, respect, discipline, discipline. Yeah. Honor to what? What does honor mean?
1: Honor is um, well. The first thing that comes to mind is honesty. I used to have a problem with honesty, so now I'm thousand percent honest. So my word is my honor. If I give my word, that's all you need. You know, if I tell you something, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's because that's honor. You know, if I promise you something, I'm going to do it. That's honor. If We do deal together. I won't screw you because I'm an honorable person. Mm. So I, I run everything like that in my life. Mm. And, you know, the factor of discipline is, listen, if you're not disciplined, you'll never be successful. You'll never guide people, lead people. Like, you know, you'll never achieve the next level physically, mentally, spiritually. You just won't because I, you have I, no discipline.
0: How do you determine what you
1: should be disciplined in? Hmm. Mind, body, and spirit. Plus, minus, equal. So what do we need? What are we looking for? What do we want?
0: I think a lot of times people say, might be listening to the saying, I'm 35, I'm 40, I'm 45, I'm 50. I either don't know what I want because I've spent so much time, you know, just kind of getting through each day, or 50 plus and I feel like it's too late for me to do what I want. Well, what would you say to those, those people? If you're breathing, you can do anything you want. Hmm. The problem is we get caught
1: in all these lies and we get caught in all these roles that we're living. And most of them are just social obligations or stuff we think that we're supposed to be doing the reality is you can do anything you want good bad it doesn't really matter i mean you'll have to pay the consequences or reap the rewards the truth is you are in control of every action you can do anything you want i could wake up tomorrow and start living like a convict again like i can still i can start stealing stuff tomorrow um but that would go against my morals and everything that i've built up and everything i believe in this i, I see life is like a big journey and I believe you're supposed to become the best human being throughout this journey. And you're supposed to help everybody else do the same. Mm. And if you don't, you're not that good of a person. You're an okay person. You're an all right person. But those people that go, no, no, no I'm going to make myself the best human being possible. And I'm going to take everybody around me and do the same thing. That's how you move the world and change message, change things. and And that's how I live my life. And only because I went through such an experience, I know what the bottom's like. Like I know... You know, I mean, we, we were laughing today. It was like I, I stood in line for government cheese when I was a kid. That's disgusting. And I remember standing in line and <laughs> going, well, all right, we're getting the cheese. And so I told the story to my daughter, and she's like, she goes, what, cheese? She goes, where does the cheese come from? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I know what it's like to have zero. And you can always build up. You can always build up. But it starts it starts by changing this. You can change your mind.
0: Change your mind to believe that it's possible? Yeah. And then what's the very next thing after that? Action.
1: You got to take action. And here's why people get to 50 and don't, and aren't living the lives that they want to. They're not doing personal reflection. They're not writing their dreams down. They don't have a plan to accomplish it. So they're just doing what they do. But everything, I sold a movie. I just wrote it down. I'm going to sell a movie. I I wrote two books. I just wrote it down one day. I'm going to write a book. That was it. And once I made the intention and talk to an author, and da 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 a year later we have a book. Most people never write it down. They never take the intention, because they're afraid they won't do it.
0: I think that's right, and and I think people also, they look too far to the end product. Like if you said to yourself, a year from now I'm gonna have a book, that might be too scary a thought. But if you say to yourself, okay, a book, I, I, I value the idea of having a book in a year, that seems like a good intention to have, The first step is finding an author. Um, I think breaking things down into smaller steps. Like I'm sure when you studied back in the day, kickboxing for the first time, you didn't say to yourself, okay, I'm going to kick a guy off a horse. You probably figured, well, what's the first things I need to do to strengthen my legs or whatever it is. I'm just making this up. But there's probably like micro steps with each thing that you have to learn.
1: Yeah, and that is the beauty of the basis of martial arts. Small incremental improvements to achieve a larger goal. And then that tying into what your body needs, protection, whatever, and what your community needs. And it's like that's the martial arts journey. When you get that down, then you're then you're cracking. I you're love so that. in touch with your being and the beings around you, and you're all on this positive growth mission. So it's like you can't help
0: but come out of
1: it a better human being.
0: So I never thought of it that way. So the basis of martial arts is small incremental changes to what was the. What was the final part that you just said? To, to perfection, to excellence. To, mm. to, uh, and you're never going to achieve that. No. So it's always small incremental changes every day. And it's, but imagine if you went to a place every day
1: and the whole conversation was, that's great, let's make it better. Like mm. just the tiniest bit better today. And then we'll do the same tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. After 100 days, you've got 100 like mini improvements. And that's how you build people up. Mm. You know, I did that myself because I didn't know. I just went, mm. here's my intention. Here's what I have to do the community came and supported me the resources came out but it's like until you make that intention until you show up at the martial arts school until
0: you show up at class you know it doesn't nothing changes and again also it's interesting that you're allowed to define it for yourself like there's no one school of thought from 3000 years ago that's the school you you I mean again you combined all these schools uh to create your own style of fighting um so when you when you were actually kind of moving up through the ranks and destroying everyone in your path, literally, what was like the hardest fight you were in where you had to really use your brain to say, okay, he's presenting a problem and I have to figure out in real time how to solve this problem?
1: Uh, it was fighting Ensign uh, Inoue in Japan, that big Asian dude, uh, the one who had the Hawaiian will to guy. die. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The and he's you know half Japanese, half Hawaiian, so they're very much the Bushido, you know, the Bushido way. Um, and it was you know, about seven minutes into the fight, he he folded me over backwards and mounts me. And he's like on top of me, elbowing my face in. And um why he, didn't you just collapse then? It, <laughs> just give up. Well, hey, so he's, he's just, huge. He's it's not huge. like just like a small no, guy he, doing this. Yeah, he's like, you know, 20 plus pounds on me. And he's, you know, got me in the most, you know, vulnerable position. Um, and he's just elbowing away on my face. What does he mean he folds you over backwards? We're standing clenched up. I was trying to knee him, so my hips were getting too close. And he mm-hmm. went from a a high grab to a waist grab. And then he pulled Mm. my waist into his and stepped forward. He he
0: took your energy of moving closer to him and he switched on you to kind of push
1: that in. And so he folds me over backwards like this. Like I wrench my back and then he jumps on top of my chest and he's like elbowing my face in. So it was one of those moments where um, I thought I was going to die. Like I was like, there's no way I'm going to survive this. But I wasn't going to give up. So I was like, okay, well there's a problem here <laughs> and that was the problem. Uh, so, um, but what I did was, you know, I just stayed true to my intention. My intention was nobody's going to kill me. So, you know, I just had a moment where I was like, he's going to kill me. And then I went, wait a minute, nobody can kill me. And I got up and knocked him out.
0: And so how did you though, get out of that particular situation? He's in control of you at that point.
1: I, um, I just hung on and kept moving and I could tell uh, he was getting tired of beating on me, actually. Uh, and then the other thing that I was doing was I had learned to use my skeletal muscles to hang off people. And we talked about leaning on them mm. and applying weight to them. Mm. So even though he was on top of me, I was actually hanging off
0: of his body. So he was holding up. But him slamming on your, on your yeah, face so he's, so I, wasn't like, enough to get there. I'm your... like
1: this, and, and he's literally lifting me up to hit me but he's lifting my body weight. So after mm. about 10 times, he's tired. Mm. And so I had to kind of brave this moment where he's like, you know. How did I, you hold on for the 10 times? <laughs> I just, um, I I made that commitment. I knew, you know. But uh, here's the thing is, you know, I, I was like, they're gonna have to kill me to take me out of here. You know, I'm never gonna give up. Like, this is my thing, this is my chance. You know, I'm gonna go all in. Um, but you never know until you're at that moment. Like you never know until death is right there and you're looking at it. And, you know, I thought that was my moment. So I just had this, you know, I had this moment in my spirit, which was, am I really ready? And then I went, not only am I ready, this guy ain't gonna kill me. <laughs> and I got, I got, you know, I, sw- I wiggled out and,
0: you know, went into a firefight and ended up knocking him out. And and that kind of um sort of so-called rope-a-dope style, this one where, where they're like, just wailing on you and you do things to get them tired until finally you can switch. You did that again with, uh, Tito Ruiz. Yeah. Ortiz. Yeah. 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 A- Ortiz. And cause he was like a, like, he was just out there hungry for to kill you. And, uh, and he's he was very polite about it later. You know, he's on the documentary talking about it, but you were holding on against, you know, uh, into the edge. Like what, what was happening there? He was just, you know, the next size of athlete. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. he's really a
1: he's really a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. But he's able to to drop down into the middleweight, um, the middleweight category. Uh, and he was just so big. He was so strong. You know, he was so he was the next size up. It just took so much energy to 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 battle with
0: him. Were you afraid getting in the ring or no? No. I
1: knew I could beat Tito. Like I this is how confident I was to beat Tito. I signed a four fight extension to my contract and put in the clause if I ever publicly retire the rest of the contract is null and void because I knew I'd beat Tito stand up on pay-per-view retire and become the first free agent
0: so you knew you would beat Tito even though in the middle of that fight you probably also knew that you would have 30 or so punches on your face <laughs> at that moment <laughs> yeah so it was just
1: so it was so big like if you if you see us together it's silly yeah. and when we did the the poster for the fight they literally slid out an apple box they're like, I'm so sorry, Mr. Shemrock. And the guy slides out, can you stand on this? It just doesn't look right. Because I'm like this, you know, uh-huh. I'm staring up at this giant man. Um, but he was just the next size of and the, the next level and, you know, physical needs. And I was, I was the first super athlete guy, but that's what really, you know, I needed that super athleticism and the technique to beat him.
0: So you were talking earlier about the, the warrior code. We did honor, discipline, respect. What, what comes What comes next, if anything?
1: Um, well, let's see. So the mind, body, and spirit are the way, Mm -hmm. um, the how is the, um, honor, respect, and discipline, and then, um, there's a few minor mechanics of it. The idea of consistent improvement is either wrapped up in the journey to excellence, or uh, we also call it Kaizen, small incremental improvements for, um, practice.
0: Um, and it's really those like three... Concepts. What about people who, who know what the right, like, let's take an obvious example. Someone who smokes knows that it's probably wrong to smoke, but they don't stop. Um, and they would like to stop even let's assume every possible thing. Their intentions are good. They want to stop. They're addicted to it, but you know, there's ways to overcome addiction, but they just don't stop or I'll, I'll use an example personal to me. I know I should go to the gym every day or, or I should exercise probably more than I do. I have just recently started going to the gym, but for the first time in like six years. So I should probably be exercising more than I do, but it's hard for me because I don't enjoy it. And now you shouldn't enjoy, anything that's worth having is probably not enjoyable. Like when when your brother first beat you (laughs) up, I'm sure you weren't having a fun time and yet that propelled you to worldwide success. So it seems like writing a book is not enjoyable and yet when it's done, That's what you, you did a good job. And, uh, but sometimes you can't do everything that's not enjoyable in order to achieve many different kinds of success. So I don't know, how should I think differently about lifting weights? Make it fun. How do I do that? Do something you like to do. I guarantee
1: you there's a physical activity that you enjoy doing that's fun and that will give you a good workout.
0: Uh, I got a
1: dog. I walk my dog twice a day.
0: As I like, "Get you walking." <laughs> so I'm walking twice a day, I'm like about... hiking,
1: and I'm walking twice a day. And even well, though I work out, it's still another chance for me to do a little more. Um, but we, here's the thing: is we all know what's good for us, doesn't? You know, it doesn't mean we're doing it. I well, I knew, you know, when i was about thirteen or fourteen, like I was a total knucklehead and that I was screwing everything up.
0: Didn't mean I stopped. You know what I mean? Like you really need those big wake up calls. You well, know, what's my, some, what's something for you right now that? You, I mean, because also we can't do everything that we would like to do in our lives. What's something for you that's right in that gray area where you, you would like to do more of, but you haven't yet uh, had enough intention or, or motivation to actually start doing it?
1: Mine is even stranger because when I was 16, I was diagnosed with a spondylethiosis. My right leg had gone numb and started to drag behind me. So what that means is that. one of my little vertebrae is broken off in my lower spine. And I have no stability in the left side of my lower spine. So throughout my whole career, I've had this problem. Um, yeah, I, somebody
0: just starts punching you when the left yeah, side just of the Yeah, hit spine. me the left side. And I'm like, oh, no. I right, know, we um, know.
1: But recently, I met this doctor who's like, gave me a whole new understanding of my spine. He's basically he's like, listen, you're just a wussy. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you're thinking you have a hurt spine when you just have these muscle imbalances. Like, let me rebalance you. Let me show you the exercise to do. And I guarantee you'll never have pain again. I'm like, this is amazing. So he unlocks my back, does the thing. Everything's amazing. Shows me the exercise. He's like, you can't do this exercise enough. Do it every day, all day long. I do it every third day.
0: So you just don't, you just, it's not fun for you.
1: It's not fun. And it feels weird. It's uncomfortable, but it makes me better. Like night it, and day better.
0: Is there some benefit from doing it every third day? Or are you no. kind of- you're just I, losing the the all benefit the would be
1: to have it every day, several right. times a day, um, and it takes me three minutes to do it. Like most of us, it's a very short period of time. But I, I'm like, oh, and I need a table to lay on. Like I make a million excuses not to
0: do it. I and, know, you know I need to do it. It's kind of important because you know you're not getting any younger, Frank. Right? <laughs> <It's laughs> so true. Uh, you know, at some point this becomes degenerative, right? Mm. So you have to start doing it. <laughs> but we all know, like
1: we know why we're overweight. We know why we're stressed. We know all these things, but what are we doing about it? And it's like, you know, I was very blessed in that I found martial arts and it became my way to connect with the community, learn about myself, explore things, Mm -hmm. you know, it became my world. And, you know, very few people have that where you can walk into a door and you're just suddenly part of this amazing, you know, personal development community. So to me, like, it was just such a powerful experience. I didn't even know it existed. Like, I didn't know you could go to martial arts schools
0: and all that stuff, you know, even happened there. Right, because again, it's not like martial arts, as you've described in this podcast. It's not just about oh, being able to kick a guy in the face. It's all this kind of method of excellence that could be applied to any area of life, anything. And you see that really in a lot of Asian cultures. That you know, like imagine the Japanese tea ceremony is almost like a martial art. Just the way every aspect is ritualized, and 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 it's sort of this movement towards perfection of the of the tea ceremony. So it seems to apply the same principles. Mm-hmm. Um, so so your career lasted a really long time. I mean, you you went, you know, I don't know the exact number of years, but you were really kind of at the top of your game for for a long time for at least I mean it's hard to constantly fight for ten years. It is. <laughs> or, or longer. I don't even know. <laughs> I did know.
1: sixteen years straight and I went undefeated for ten years. Undefeated for ten years. Yeah. What happened the first time you you got you? You lost. Ah, I got disqualified. Okay. Because I need uh, Henzo Grace from New York. I need, oh, I, need yeah. I need him in the back of the head. Um, which I thought was perfectly legal. Uh, but it, it turns out it wasn't. So what
0: what about the first time you, you lost, lost? Was it Diaz? First time I lost, loss, uh, was Kung Lee. He broke my arm. Hmm. So Oh yeah, I, uh, right, yeah, I remember that, that. I
1: couldn't I couldn't continue after that. That was the first time I really got hurt too. Like, you know, wake up call and and that was when I started planning my exit
0: and then and then um and then it kind of after your your one of your last fights or maybe your last fight was uh, uh i forgot his first name diaz yeah nick um nick diaz and it, there's this real sense that okay you're handing over to the next generation what do you think he was doing differently or let, let's even take it a little further um this recent fight that happened in the past few weeks and, and i don't follow the sport at all but like uh george st pierre yeah. gsp um what's he doing differently, where he's just so clearly vanquishing his opponents? he's just a martial artist mm. and he hasn't stopped studying like mm. that's
1: where you know his value is you know in this one, you only are as good in this sport you're only as good as your study, mm. so if you leave studying, everyone just keeps learning getting better.
0: You wouldn't think that, though. You would think you're yeah. only as good as your ability
1: to kill somebody. Yeah. This one's literally because, you know, you, you have to stay on top of this thing. And then, the, you know, the styles and the moves and stuff ebb and flow with popularity. Who's winning? Who's doing this? So you really have to kind of stay on top of the, the art. And he stayed on top
0: of it. And when you, watch, when you watch him now, are you like, oh, I see what he's doing there. That's really interesting.
1: He's doing the same thing. But the sport has de-evolved technically. So that's the, the weird thing about the sport now is because television and because, you know, these mediums have gotten so big, the level of athlete has diminished a little bit. Really? Because now you need character, personality, presentation. Mm. There's a lot more to the to the presentation. So we're drawing from a different crowd. It's athletes and other people that want to be on TV and that want to be, you know, in that type of sporting
0: experience i see so so often charisma or some type of weird charisma is driving people to the top but you have a guy like gsp who can kept studying so he's able to destroy that guy so and he's a martial
1: artist and he's a super athlete and you know he's still he's still focused on martial arts if, mm-hmm. if i tried to do it i'd be like i'd get my ass kicked it's, i'm not yeah i don't dream about it you know it's all out of my head now
0: where where do you see yourself going in the next uh, 20 years or in martial arts? No, just in general.
1: In general? Um, I'm just going I just, mean, you've, you've yeah. hit the
0: top of world, the world in, in one area of life. So yeah. you could.
1: I'm going to keep working on my community because mm. I, I live in a wonderful community. Um, looking for ways to impact it. You know, our family is so blessed. Like we're, we're, we're healthy and we're doing really well. Um, and really, my next thing, what I'm focused on next year, is this mental health awareness campaign and this mission um i've been greatly affected by mental health and a lot of my clients in my community have been affected by mental health and t- tell me how um uh, you know, one of my best friends is bipolar you know and i've i've been caring for him for about seven or eight years um and in the journey i've learned so much about it you know, i've learned so much about how public feels about it and you know how he survives and i mean i've literally read you know 50 books on the subject and you know like I feel like I'm really educated on it in my desire to help and care for
0: him. You know, it's I didn't know that, uh, about you and your friend. I knew you were focused on on mental health, but one of the closest people in my life is affected by bipolar. And I didn't realize until I saw it in person, face to face, how how different bipolar is from how the movies say portray it they they sort of portray like okay sometimes you're sad and sometimes you're really happy and maybe even really energetic it's not that way at all when someone's in mania it's like the person you knew has checked out and something new and sort of very horrible has checked in and that's why a lot of these people end up homeless because they they create a scorched earth of community around them and also a lot of them end up dead they end up committing suicide like bipolar is a is it is almost a terminal disease so why don't you think most people realize the 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 severity of mental illnesses like bipolar borderline personality disorder like these are real you know neurological disorders yeah i mean we've we've just in the past
1: decade started paying attention to it you know and before that you know i mean look at look at the culture of of having mental issues you know it's just been you know, portrayed to be, you know, crazy people, violent people, you know, the portrayal, um, the general message of it, it's just not, you know, it's not good. No, and people I, don't know what to do. People literally don't, when I talk to, because I talk like this and they're like, I don't even know what to say to you. Like, how are we talking about this? <laughs> like, we have to talk about it. You know, this is a real thing. Um, you know, what we see that, you know, the human development of your brain, Your brain can handle just about anything, but you you need to learn in doses and you need to, you know, your brain's made of plastic. It'll consume, change, do anything you want it to good or bad. Um, But you know, people don't understand their brain. They don't know, you know, when everything you put in it is a computer, you're just recording everything you do. It becomes who you are and it becomes how you are. Uh, People don't think about that. You know, people don't, Think of your mind as a, you know,
0: as a space you need to develop and. But but he, but with mental it. illness, though, sometimes it goes one step further, which is that that computer has faulty programming. Yeah, and the person who's the the let's let's call it the the person who has the illness, he or she can't necessarily control how that input is coming in anymore, or or what the output is, or they're having problems with that. And, and I think, I think awareness of that's very important. For instance, you know, there's been a lot of news, uh, in the past year about, uh, police brutality and police, you know, killing people. Um, you know, it's the whole, um, you know, very important issue of Black Lives Matter. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is that 61% of those lives are mentally ill people and, and that were, you know, killed because the people, police didn't realize they were mentally ill uh a serious issue so so how can we all work to raise awareness of this well i think it
1: starts by um repositioning the
0: conversation Mm
1: -hmm. you know we're we're all talking about an illness that nobody can see you know a lot of people don't believe it yeah some people don't believe it some people are against it some people culturally can't accept it it's not okay like you know and you know we're where I was affected was understanding. It. It's an idea. It's not anything other than an idea. Your brain is different than my brain, and you know some of these people are super high functioning in some areas, and in some areas they can't, you know, do much. But we're all the same human being. We all have the same needs, desires. Like we all are the same person. We all want to be useful. We all want to be valued. We all want to have purpose. We all want to have a community. And you know, when you say okay you're sick, you're never going to get better, take these pills. And by the way, we're not going to hang out with you because you're weird. You're literally giving them a death sentence. Mm. You're putting them off to pasture. And it's like nobody in their right mind understanding mental illness would do that. Mm. Because the idea of mental illness is, hey, we need to pull them in this community. We need to get them involved. We need to get them purpose. We need to get them activated. Because how else can we maximize that human being? They're not sick. They're just different. Right. And it's like, until we start having the conversation of difference and idea, you know, yeah, there's an illness there, but it's a human, you know, malady that can be treated with human interactions. It's not like, you know, my legs falling off. This is literally something where two people can start making progress now just by, hey, you need some help? You look a little down. You want to go for a walk? Like, it's so easy to begin the actions. But no one wants to talk about it. Like, I talk to people and they're like, I, I, "I, we can't talk about that. I'm like, why not? You know, we have to talk about it or it's going to become, it's still that that thing. And then as long as it's that thing, you know, people are going to disparage it and people are going to believe silly things and people are going to spread, you know, rumors and, you know, people are going to, you know, give it what it's been given, mm. which is a real bad, you know, a bad face.
0: Well, Frank Shamrock, who I've stolen so liberally from <laughs> over the years, no charge for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll give you full credit from now on. <laughs> Plus, minus, equal. It's it's actually the greatest learning technique I've ever used for my own self. But all these all these issues we talked about up up in, you know, including the the mental illness, uh, so important, so fascinating to to meet you and and see the arc of how you've sort of transformed yourself again and again to. Uh, you know, to conquer these these battles in your life. An honor to meet you. And I'm so glad you came on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you.